0: Welcome to the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Sauer. We've got Kevin Pelton here of ESPN to talk about this offseason, the Suns, and really get into how things happen in the NBA here. How are you doing, Kevin?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, great to have you. You were one of my high people I wanted to have on when I had this started this podcast a year and a half ago. I'm glad to have you on. I finally was able to ask, and we made it, made it happen. So that's really awesome. Um, so what we're going to do is talk really about how to rebuild? How to analyze players? Um, kind of give me your general idea on how you evaluate any a player, where they are in their career.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know the main thing that I'm kind of looking at is your ability to help your team win, and and that. Probably sometimes differs from, you know, the, the box score productivity in particular that players have, uh, you know, even though that's a component of box score based advanced statistics. But, uh, you know, typically w- when there's a disconnect between, you know, kind of how I view a player and I think how the, the, the world at large views that player, it's usually because of the fact that they score a lot of points grab a lot of rebounds, but maybe aren't necessarily doing, you know, doing that in ways that are helping their team win or doing the other things that are important to helping your team win.
0: For sure. So why don't we get some examples of people that come to mind that do that well? Um, like who's a, who's a player that stu- uh, staff, stuffs stats but doesn't necessarily impact their team?
1: Well, You know, I think that probably was true, certainly of the uh, the first couple years of Devin Booker's career uh, in Phoenix, which was probably why there was a difference between how Suns fans viewed his uh, potential at that point and and how I and you know other people were sort of. Viewing it through that statistical frame, uh, viewed his future. That, that, disc- that gap sort of started to close last year in an encouraging way for his future. Uh, Andrew Wiggins would probably be someone who stands out as, you know, still having that kind of gap where scores a lot of points, is often incredibly impressive in doing so because of his ability to make difficult shots, but, you know, hasn't contributed a lot else besides that. And then, you know, recently in the news, uh, because of his trade to the San Antonio Spurs, probably DeMar DeRozan would be another example of a player. Who uh, you know doesn't typically seem to have the kind of same impact on his team's performance that his, his points per game, in particular, would suggest.
0: Uh, for some reason, the one that came to my mind was Drummond. What do you think about him?
1: Yeah, he's an interesting one because of the fact that you know he probably represents that case where you know people will sometimes say. Oh, who are players who are underrated by the advanced stats? And the question is, then becomes, well, which ones? Because if you look at the box score based stats, Drummond and, you know, some other centers of his ill, Kassan Whiteside is probably very similar in this regard, do tend to look pretty good because of the fact that, you know, they have excellent rebound rates, they block a lot of shots, they score at high efficiency with good volume, but yeah, I, I think you're right that when you look at the plus minus based stats, their defensive limitations in particular suggest that those guys aren't helping their teams win nearly as much as, you know, even their advanced individual stats would suggest.
0: Why don't we uh, clarify some of the, what we're talking about here? I want to make sure because some people don't know. I mean, I talk to, I'm on Twitter and talking to people who know what they're talking about. And then in the real world, I'm talking and people have no clue what any of this means. And I have some people who listen to my podcast that are that. So why don't we talk about like, the kinds of stats really quickly just kind of like you said box box score based and then there's there's by 100 possessions so i don't just kind of quickly explain the differences and why we care about some more than others
1: yeah so the box score based stats there's that would also encompass the the per 100 possession stats which are basically just reframing the traditional categories but you know, taking away both the impact of playing time, which is the first step and why you'll sometimes see per minute stats rather than per game stats. But then the next layer to that is, you know, taking out the context of the the paces at which teams play because of the fact that those can differ. So, you know, if you're looking at a player's production per hundred possessions, that's putting them on the most level playing field with everyone else in the league. And, you know, then to kind of try and summarize those stats, there's these all-in-one value stats that started out drawing strictly from the box score. PER is probably the most ubiquitous of those that uh, my ESPN insider predecessor, John Hollinger, came up with during, uh, well, before even his time at ESPN, uh, but also before now he's working for the Memphis Grizzlies in their front office. Uh, win shares is also on basketballreference.com. And then, you know, more recently, uh, then my, my wins above replacement player statistic falls in that, that category. And then there's also box plus minus on basketballreference.com, which kind of transitions us into the plus minus based stats, which are a different kind of philosophy. So those, those stats are all trying to take the box score and value those things in terms of how they help teams win. Plus minus based stats or trying to look at a player's actual effect on, you know, the, the his team's performance while he's on the court as compared to on the bench. And so you can do that in a number of different ways. There's the raw plus minus that you see on box scores now on ESPN.com and on NBA.com and, and multiple different sites. And, you know, that's a pretty crude measure. It'll tell you what happened in a game, but, you know, I could have a really good plus minus and have done almost nothing to help my team win, but just happened to have been out there with four teammates who were playing really well, for example, or have, you know, the other, the player who I was playing opposite, who was on the bench when I was on the court, was so ineffective that that's what made me look so good. So to adjust for that, the kind of the next level is net plus minus, where you look at a team's uh, efficiency differential, points scored per 100 possessions, points given up per 100 possessions with a player on the court versus on the bench. And that helps correct for some of those effects, but, uh, you know, still not all of them. You've still got that bad backup situation. So then the the kind of next evolution in them was adjusted plus minus, which is where you adjust for the teammates who are on the court and the opponents who are on the court and then kind of run a giant regression with all of that to, to see, to try to isolate an individual player's impact. And that's, you know, kind of the purest Measure of player value in some ways, but the problem it has is, you know, because of the fact that you don't play with that many different other different teammates over the course of the season, uh, there still ends up being a lot of difficulty figuring out how to split up the credit. And from season to season, uh, let's see, who who was the good example of this that someone asked me about the other day where there was someone who, oh, uh, Gorgie Jang of the Minnesota Timberwolves had one of the best defensive adjusted plus minuses in the league two years ago. Last year had one of the very worst. And it's not like Gorgie Jen was a different player. It's just because of kind of the context around him and randomness and all those things. So then kind of the the ultimate layer where you married the box score stats in those plus minus stats is ESPN's real plus minus that we have on the site now created by uh, Jerry Engelman and Steve Alardi, both of whom actually worked for the Suns as consultants before uh, doing so. And that uses the box score stats as kind of an expectation, a jumping off point for the adjusted plus minus, so that kind of tends to stabilize it a little bit and give us a better assessment of you know, who's actually helping their team win.
0: So one thing I want to delve into is, this has definitely been a Suns kind of topic, is bad teams versus good teams versus how much, how can we translate? So I guess is the jumping off point is, how do you translate Booker's production, which is incredible for his age, to... What he could be on a good team, such as closer to this year, where he's going to continue to continue every year to play with better teammates and kind of figure that out and project how we can do it. So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you have a well calibrated metric, to some extent, it shouldn't matter. A player's rating shouldn't change a lot when they go from a bad team to a good team or vice versa. Now, in practice, of course, that's much more difficult to achieve. And and part of it is you're going to find that there are some players who are uniquely suited to play with better teammates and some who are actually better off playing with weaker teammates. And I think Booker, to some extent, may fall into the latter category where, you know, because of the fact that his best skill is his ability to generate, you know, shots of reasonable efficiency at incredibly high volumes, you know, to some extent, you don't want and not a lot of other shot creators around him. Um, but, you know, certainly at the defensive end of the court, I think you would expect that his production would look a lot better if he had better defensive teammates. And that's, that's I think, maybe where we're going to see more improvement from Phoenix this year with the addition of Trevor Ariza. You know, Mikhail Bridges, we'll see how quickly he gets up to speed as is a rookie, but he's certainly got the potential to be that kind of defender as well.
0: The opposite of uh, Devin Booker is a Dragon Bender who will look much, yes. much better with Koskikov as well as the teammates around him and not having to create. And I don't – I was never – I mean, I'm a, I'm a definitely a dragon band, dra- dragon bender guy, but it's more of a – I was never expecting him to be some superstar. I expected him to not turn the ball over, shoot well from the perimeter, pass and defend above, above replacement level. That's what you need from him. That's what I think he's going to give you when he's in his prime. So that's definitely the opposite of Devin Booker in terms of bad versus good. Um, do you think I mean I think that the Suns definitely were not a great shooting team other than Booker and Daniels last year too much and they're gonna they added some shooters and they added some defense this year what do you think of the team in general
1: yeah, I mean, I think the biggest limitation is probably going to be point guard, quite obviously. I mean, you know, there was an expectation when they went after a reason free agency that, okay, a trade has to be coming for a veteran point guard who's going to emerge as the starter. You know, Dennis Schroeder was a logical candidate. Now that he's in Oklahoma City, I'm not really sure who that guy is. I don't know that I necessarily feel terribly as the Suns that I missed out on three years of Dennis Schroeder at 16 and a half million a year or 15 and a half. I forget what it is in terms of the incentives. But but, uh, you know, if it's not him, I'm not sure who that guy is going to be. So, you know, right now, as you look at projecting the season, it's probably going to be a, a fair amount of Brandon Knight at that position, which, uh, you know, he had one of the worst ratings in, in that aforementioned ESPN's real plus minus two years ago before the ACL injury. And then the young guys with Okobo and Shaquille Harrison. So, you know, I think that's probably going to hold them back. But you do have a lot more professional talent on the wing and a lot of interchangeable parts. I'm really quite fascinated to see how Igor Kokoshkov kind of deploys those guys because it doesn't seem like there's going to be enough minutes for all of them. If you're looking at them strictly as shooting guards and small forwards. So presumably we're going to see a lot of lineups where one of them plays power forward. You know, Ariza played that plenty in Houston, especially in the playoffs. And I, you know, I think bridges against certain matchups could maybe do that. Maybe even TJ Warren, as we saw last year early in the season, and, and Josh Jackson too. I mean, early in the season, uh, he kind of chafed at that under Watson, uh, and was happier when he went back to playing small forward. But, you know, I think a lot of interchangeable lineups, and then also some of those, you know, those guys sliding into the shooting guard, which makes me wonder, even though Kokoshko said he'd prefer to avoid it, whether we're going to see much of, dread of uh, Devin Booker at point guard.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I think, I mean, my favorite lineup I can't wait to see this year is going to be a Booker, Bridges, Jackson, Ariza, Eaton lineup, which is right. just going to be so interesting to watch for sure. I think that, I mean, so I was definitely, if you've listened to podcasts or heard before, I was definitely a Brandon, not a Brandon Knight guy. I think that year he was the only guy I was really not excited with on the Suns team. And although now I've kind of understand that if he plays with much higher level talent, because two years ago the Suns had re- literally almost nothing, um, like I think it would be better for him to not have to play with such, a, such um, pressure as well as know that he's not the guy, as opposed to trying to fight to be the guy. And with his new outlook on life, I would assume with all the injuries and with the uh, what's happened with him on the court, uh, I think it'll help. And then Acobo and Harrison definitely are, impress- are impressive in what they do. But what do you think about how Aiden's going to uh, integrate into this uh, team?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was one of the most interesting players naturally to watch at the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas. I think I wrote about his first three games because of the fact that you know, he was matching up against, uh, first it was his debut and then a couple of matchups against other top prospects, uh, first Marvin Bagley and then later they went up against, uh, Jonathan Isaac and Mo Bomba and the Magic and yeah I mean it it was tough because of the fact that clearly they were still mostly using him as a post up player on offense and didn't have the kind of complementary talent around it to him to make that work um i I don't know in terms of the entry passing that that's necessarily going to be a ton better during the regular season although he he certainly will have better floor spacing with those kind of lineups that we just mentioned where you put you know those multiple inter- interchangeable wings who all of whom can stretch the floor around him. Um I you know I think it'll be interesting to see how he evolves as a pick and roll scorer. It's not unique to Aiden. It, you really look at, you know, virtually all of the big men uh, coming out of college at the top of this year's draft and very few of very rarely were they used in pick and roll situations in college because that's just not the way college basketball is. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. And then, in, you know, again, at point guard, you don't really have those ideal pick and roll partners. Booker, I think, can be a better fit in that regard. And, you know, particularly if Knight is out there spacing the court, then maybe you can create enough spacing uh, that Booker Eaton pick and rolls become really difficult for opponents to defend. Uh, and then the other aspect, of, it, of course, is going to be the defensive end of the court, which is, you know, if you have concerns about Aiden, I think that they're much less about his offense and much more about his defensive instincts. And the fact that he wasn't a big time shot blocker at Arizona uh, for or even before that, when he wasn't necessarily playing, you know, power forward as he did last year alongside Dusan Uh, you know, I think that. And those definitely showed up in summer league. So, you yeah, know, I think that's, that's also going to be where I'm going to be watching is, you know, how much can he improve at the defensive end and, and, uh, you know, show better instincts, you know, probably getting better defo- defensive coaching than he has over the course of his career, I would say.
0: Yeah. I was definitely more of a Doncic and go get Capella guy for the Suns. Although it seemed like it was going to be really good for Capella to get a discount. Then he gets the 90 million. I was like, my goodness. No, that would be too expensive probably. Um, even though he's so, such a good talent, but, uh, definitely I'm okay with 18. We'll see what, we'll see what happens with him. Do you think, so the Suns must have been, what are they, 28th probably in defense last year? Uh,
1: like, no, they were, no, they were 30th and 30th yeah. in both offense and defense. Yeah,
0: that makes, that makes more sense too. It was bad. But, um, so do you th- how much more do you think they're going to be in both of those categories this year, do you think? With more, I mean, they're obviously young still, but they have more playable veterans. They have more switchability. They have better spectest things what do you think
1: yeah i mean you know i think offensively you've certainly improved in terms of shooting i don't i don't think they're they're going to be you know i think that the the point guard situation kind of limits the upside that you have offensively but i would i would be surprised if they're back in the bottom 3 again offensively defensively it's interesting because of the fact that you know traditionally those kind the kind of players that they've acquired you know the the bridges the the Arizes and and even to an extent Josh Jackson who was already there, those are more guys who are kind of, you know, the finishing touches on quality defenses than they are players who turn you around defensively. Now, I think the hope is probably that you've just accumulated enough of those guys that, you know, because of the ability to do a lot of switching now, you know, especially when those guys are playing power forward. One of those guys is playing power forward, you can switch a lot and, and Bender can do that too if if he is at power forward. Uh, that will help a lot defensively and take you out of the situations where you really need to rely on your help defense, which was such a weakness for the Suns team, not just last season, but the last several seasons. And I, I don't know that the help defense is going to be a lot better because that's not, as we noted, eight, the strength of Ayton's game at this stage of his career. But you know, if you can stay out of a lot of those situations, force opponents to play one-on-one because of the fact that you're switching, maybe that's where you can generate a lot of the improvement.
0: And there's going to be less, um, getting, like, the perimeter defense, just general, is going to be better because Mm -hmm. of Jackson Reza and bridges. And so I think that it'll be less of a problem to get Aiton and Chris and and Bender in the, in the paint. Um, one question I had from a Twitter, uh, Sandro Cozy said, um, with all the big man talent coming in on recent years without many really good point guards as of now, how do you see the game possibly change in the early 2020s? and now it's shifting towards switch everything scheme um that favorite favors wings what do you think
1: That's going to be interesting i mean i it's it's hard to predict if if i would was able to predict it i'd probably be uh you know working for an nba team right now uh instead of an espn uh i i i do think one thing you know you noted the lack of point guard talent coming in in recent years one of the things we've observed is that point guards tend to develop later in their career than players at other positions. So I think, you know, two, three years down the road, we're going to start to see a lot of those young point guards blossoming. Maybe not all of them, but you know, enough that I, I don't know that there's necessarily going to be a shortage of point guards, even as the current crop of stars, you know, your Chris Paul's, your Russell Westbrooks, as those guys start to kind of age out of stardom at point guard. I, I think new, new stars will develop at that position, but, uh, it does seem like there is a move towards the the versatile wings becoming the league's very best players, and and that's gonna be interesting to watch. I mean, you know, I think one thing that I'm gonna be on the lookout is who are other guys who can make the transition that James Harden did, where for a long period of time, yeah, he was a guy who handled the ball a lot. He, you know, was playing next to non-traditional point guards, Patrick Beverly being, you know, kind of the best example of that, but he was still a shooting guard. And then, you know, Mike D'Antoni comes in and shifts him, and now it's, you are our point guard. And even when he plays with Chris Paul, still he has the ball in his hands all the time. Are there other guys that can make that transition and bring the combination of size, ability to finish through contact that, you know, wings often have and add that playmaking and 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 passing dimension of a point guard. Uh, Jimmy Butler, to some extent, has made that transition, you know, first in Chicago, now in Minnesota. I mean, again, not to the extreme that James Harden has, but, you know, are there more guys like that who can be kind of like those six, seven lead ball handlers? And, uh, you know, is that kind of going to be one of the ways in the future will be interesting to watch?
0: For sure. And I want to, obviously, we'll talk about other Suns things, other teams in general, but Booker, you're just basically, yep. it seems like you're describing Devin Booker, 6'7 <laughs> who handles the ball and, for a team that with a non-traditional point guard. I mean, if Shaquille Harrison's out there, he can do stuff, but he's much more defensive guy. Kobo is young. Um, and so, and then Brandon Knight is Brandon Knight. So it's, the question's there. I've seen a lot from Devin Booker. Obviously, I'm going to see different things and maybe more things than people who are on national levels, but I see leadership from him and things that, uh, signal to me that he's going to be more special than it, than maybe the box score shows. Although I did see do a, tw- um, look, look something up. Obviously, it's not the real plus-minus type stuff, but it's more of just general uh, historical precedent. Um, I mean, he had what is he? What he was at Twenty-four, five and five last year, which had, which that with which last year had only been done by six or seven other All Stars and and him. Uh, He's the only non All Star to make it there. And someone pointed out to me Tyreek Evans. I was like, I don't think that Devin Booker's in the same path as Tyreek Evans. But I guess I'm kind of curious to what you think he can become. Because I, I think his defense became somewhat below average, obviously, still, but passable um, right. for his offense. And it's kind of like, what can you become?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think my distillation of Devin Booker, at one point last year, I tweeted that Devin Booker last year was what people thought Devin Booker was two years ago when he had the, you know, the, what was it, the the 60-point 60, 60 game? 70-point game? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm shorting him. I can't even remember. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of, you know, exaggerated what he was accomplishing offensively when he was still much more a volume scorer in his second season. And understandably so, given, you know, his age and the role he was thrust into. But last year we saw him uh, not only maintain but increase that volume while also scoring with average efficiency. And that's the kind of player who can become, you know, a superstar offensive talent in the league. Um, the defense is interesting because, you know, is a rookie kind of the sales pitch for Devin Booker is, well, look, he's this really great shooter who's also a good enough athlete to be good defensively. And, and you heard some Clay Thompson talk, who's kind of, kind of the ultimate of that archetype, uh, you know, the elite shooter who's also a really good defender. And, and I think there is some com- commonality in Booker and Thompson and that, you know, both of those guys, are probably a little bit overrated defensively because of the fact that they tend to be better one-on-one than they are as team defenders and uh, don't generate a lot of steals. Um, and, you know, Clay Thompson's still a very good defender in in spite of that, and, you know, maybe Booker will one day get there, but probably his offensive responsibilities are enough that, you know, if he just gets to average defensively, that's probably, I think, what you're hoping for from him.
0: I think Booker's are, I mean, already a better playmaker than Clay Thompson, though, right? I mean, Clay Thompson yeah, yeah. can't, like... Dribble, rubbing can obviously, but it's like, I don't know. So that's why I was, he feels like more of a hardened type that's not there yet than a Clay Thompson type at the moment. But we'll see if he can get the defense up there. He's better defensively than Warren, that's for sure. My goodness. <laughs> Man, the ability to get out of position and stuff, it's amazing.
1: Well, I, I'm i really curious what TJ Warren's role is going to be this year. We've talked about all the wings that the, the Suns have added, and, you know, it, it was. It's less than a year since they signed him to an extension. So it's going to be fascinating how you carve out many playing time frame if you don't make a deal. But you know, it's also the other interesting aspect of what the Suns did this off season is that one year deal for Ariza. You know, he could be gone in a year. He could even realistically be gone at the trade deadline if. You know, they, they realize that they're not going to be competitive for a playoff spot this year and, you know, think they can get something out of that contract, uh, and then still, you know, get another expiring in return and, and still look at 2019 free agency.
0: I mean, and Bridges wants to become Ariza. I mean, and he, so Ariza can train him to be Ariza, um, and, and just be what, 10, 12 years younger and do the same thing. So the, and then the question, I think Chris, so are you, let's talk about Chris and Bender for a second because we got, Jerry Dudley's gone now, so we got those two at center. It's pretty obvious what's happening, but power forward is going to be really interesting this year with the uh, Chris Bender and then Ariza. If you put them there and Bridges in the in the small all four types, um, what do you think of both of them separately and like in a vacuum, and then what they could could be? Because I'm definitely more of a Bender guy than Chris guy, but people disagree with me. It's crazy.
1: No, I'm on that I'm on that same boat with you. Chris is someone I've seen a lot because, you know, I, I am an alumnus of the University of Washington and still, uh, cover most of their home games and, you know, he, all the concerns that you saw about him uh, at UW as he emerged as a lottery pick, I think, have been reinforced by his first couple years in the NBA. His, you know, difficulty uh, maintaining his cool on the court when things don't go his way has been an issue for him. And then just a lack of pattern recognition and decision making. And I think a lot of this stems from the fact that he came to basketball relatively late. He was a football player until he got to high school and kind of outgrew football and, you know, inevitably moved over to the basketball court so he's he's better in terms of things i think that you can work on and drill one-on-one and the skill aspects of the game than he is at what translates in a five by five on five setting and Bender, even though he's also quite skilled for a player his size, it's kind of much the opposite where, you know, I think you put him in a one-on-one setting, he's probably not going to look very good, but you put him in that five-on-five setting and he becomes a lot more comfortable because of his ability to pass the ball, make good decisions, uh, play team and individual defense and i 100 agree with what you said earlier in the pod that you know he's one of those players who's going to look better the better teammates he has around him and that's that's part of why i'm not so concerned about the fact that he again struggled in summer league and you know just really didn't look like someone who has two years of nba experience playing against a bunch of you know rookies and and fringe nba players because that's just not the role you know you you're not going to throw and Vendor out there and and see him succeed it's going to be in the context of having enough talent around him to make up for the fact that the things that he can't do and allow him to focus on the things that he does do well
0: he's like the glue guy on a championship team who makes like the right pass at the right time in the playoffs that makes the that blows the top off of a series like that's the kind of thing that he does he makes that block I mean he's a good defender I watch a lot of him Basically, most every game, and he's he's a good defender. That he's just he's very up and down, though, for sure. He'll have a good game then a bad game. So that's a question there. For Warren, I think you're right. It's very going to be very interesting what he does because he's he's going to be a, he's a good sixth. What he needs to be is like the sixth man on a championship team. But he just he he can't defend or shoot threes well enough to to make it as a starter. And he's not going to start now. The question I forgot about was. Um, do you think Josh I see I see Defensive Player of the Year potential in Josh Jackson? Um do you see that?
1: I I'm, I'm generally of the philosophy that uh the defensive player of the year should almost always be a big man. So uh you know they i you know what does he have all defense potential? I, I think possibly. When we see him lock in at the defensive end of the court, you know, he can he can really make an impact there. Uh he's got You know, all the physical tools are there and then also the ability to read the game in some of the ways that we've talked about. So, you know, I think for him, it's really going to be about applying that consistently and making sure that the, uh, you know, accomplishments match the effort. And, you know, I think it's going to help all these guys to have. Uh, in all likelihood, a better defensive scheme with Igor Kokoshko of taking over and bringing it, bringing in a lot of what they were doing, you know, not the same thing they were doing in Utah, because that was so much built on Rudy Gobert and, and DeAndre Ayton is not Rudy Gobert, but, uh, suffice it to say, but, you know what they were doing under Ol Watson didn't work, and the change to Jay Triano, even though he got better effort out of uh the team and you know that was certainly helpful in the short term. you know Triano is a guy who is much more an offensive coach historically than he is a defensive coach and i I think every every uh every team he's coached for more than half the season, i believe has finished last in the league in defensive rating, so uh you know I think coach should be an upgrade in that regard
0: yeah, for sure. Well, and I also think that Josh Jackson's playmaking is better than we thought he was going to be. And him and Booker having so much playmaking skills makes the the lack of point guard eliteness, I guess, the elite point guard there, less of a problem. But obviously, like, they're not going to be top 10 in efficiency or anything like that. But I think it's less of a problem.
1: That's what I thought would have been really interesting if they had drafted Luka Doncic and, you know, basically gone to lead ball handler by committee with multiple players. I mean, you know, I think the, the big thing with Jackson is going to be, you know, taking advantage of that playmaking ability and improving his shot selection, which was atrocious as a rookie and somehow even worse during Summer League this year.
0: I think mean, Summer League, it's like, whatever, just go get some run. Like, for him, it's like, try to impress. But the funny thing is, I like the one thing that you find about Summer League is you. what you want to see from players and all the teams is, are you too good to be there? Devin Booker was definitely too good to be there when he was his second year or whatever. You didn't see yep. the same from Josh Jackson, from from Bender or any of those people. That doesn't mean that that goes to kinda of the point we talked about earlier about what are you made for? What are you are your strengths towards? But it was very interesting to see that with some players this year, I'm forgetting who they were, but you see a couple every year where you're like, You're too good to play here.
1: I mean, John Collins, I think, was definitely that this year. Yeah, he was kind of disappointing as well. I mean, he, he, you know, he played one of his two games, I think, against the Suns. Um, and, you know, he, he scored pretty inefficiently. He looked more, I think there's sometimes too good to be here. And this, I think I'm too good to be here, so I don't try. <laughs> and I think Dennis Smith fell into that okay. category this year. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, so um, let's talk about some general things. Like, how, so let's talk about rebuilding. So, I've always been of this, this mind. People, Some people tell me, okay, the timeline, the process, whatever, let's be bad for a billion years, and then eventually we'll have enough draft picks to be good. I kind of fight against that a little in a sense. Obviously, it helps to have good, and some people say the process was about the more chances we have to get something so random, it's somewhat of a crapshoot, is that you, that's how you make your impact. The Thunder did it by drafting really well, the Warriors drafting by, by drafting really well, and yet, that's not, it's a progression in that you get the young players, you continue to improve, you bring in veterans to help them know how to win, and then you get, a, like, continue to get veterans so that you can go through young core so that other people will want to come and finish off your team to be a contender. What do you think about how people rebuild and how that may change in the future?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any one size fits all strategy. And I think it does to some extent depend, you know, particularly on, you know, how interesting a market you are to free agents. And and Phoenix, it, it will be fascinating to see in that regard because you know they have been able to be competitive for even some of the best free agents in the last five years here. I mean, Lamarcus Aldridge, most obviously, despite the fact that they weren't a competitive team. So if you ever get a competitive team in Phoenix, you'd have to think that you would you would have a shot at signing uh, a marquee free agent. To me, you know, what really stood out about the process you mentioned, kind of the the multiple bites at the apple in terms of you know continuing to be in the lottery year after year. I, I think the other thing that was really important philosophically to Sam hinkey in that process is look, when we get that superstar, not or if, you know, I mean, it probably should have been if, but ultimately it looks like they got two of them. We don't want, you know, those players to be kind of stuck on an Island. We want to be able to keep continually getting them help. And that means first off, Having the cap space to be flexible in free agency as, you know, Philadelphia will have another chance next year to, you know, potentially sign a max free agent. And, you know, we'll see if they, who they could, if anyone they can sign up. Uh, but the other aspect of it is, uh, and, and, you know, that didn't really apply as much to Oklahoma City, which wasn't a free agent destination, but continuing to add draft picks even after you've got the core in place. So it was about. You know, Harden Ibaka, uh, who, who was an additional draft pick that the Thunder acquired, Westbrook Durant, but, you know, also they were able to go out and deal a pick to get Dabo Cephalosha while he was still on his rookie contract. And, and, you know, Jeff Green, who was one of those picks and, and, and trading him for Kendrick Perkins for, for better awards, but he was still a fifth starter. You know, so you would, I think the situation you want to avoid is, you know, kind of New Orleans with Anthony Davis, where it seems like they took that kick out of the oven too early. You know, they drafted Anthony Davis and then immediately that year went out and uh, did a sign and trade for Tyreek Evans. They kept trading their first round picks for veterans. They had traded, uh, traded for Drew Holiday, uh, Omer Asik. And what that meant is all of a sudden they were capped out. They didn't really have much of a way to improve. And they didn't have a team yet that was good enough to compete around Anthony Davis. So I think that's the situation you really want to avoid when you're rebuilding: is not having those ways to keep getting better even after your core is in place. And you know, so if you're Phoenix, uh, you know that extra first round pick that you had coming from Miami was probably a, a good example of what that could have been before they made the move up to go get Mikael Bridges.
0: But I think that one was so far out that it wasn't going to do what we. What I think you're talking about in the sense that it was four years out or something, I think they still need to be good or continue to improve now. I mean, I think they're going to hit around 35 wins, at the, maybe probably not more than that. But, I mean, sometimes I'm a little bit optimistic in, in all about, about the Suns. But uh, I think – so I don't know. We'll see about that. But I think that they, they're doing, that's why I'm much more of a McDonough guy than a lot of people, because while obviously he is not great at player relations, that's what James Jones is kind of there for. Um, it's, he, he's a good GM. I mean, he keeps doing more than he thought possible with a bad, with bad situations, yet he's part of causing the bad situations. Um, and yet, so I think that he, he continues to improve the team. I mean, I don't, I, you, you definitely remember about 2012 before McDonough was here, there was no assets whatsoever after the failed attempt to try to rebuild um, after the Steve Ashamari Sodemeyer was gone. So if they, I mean, the fact that they're where they are now is incredible. And then I, so with the question, I guess pushing forward is what can they be this year? And then who should they go after at the deadline slash next off season?
1: Yeah. So I think the challenge for them in terms of this year uh, is partially that they- Typically translate into uh, getting outscored by 9.4 points per game, and the, the worst in the league by a wide margin. So even with the league's worst record, still are a little bit ahead. So you know I think that they can be dramatically improved this year with with Aiden and, and Bridges and Ariza and just the internal development of the players on the roster, and still probably be you know somewhere in the high 20s or even you know 30 wins. Uh, you, you know, so I think it may be tough for them to get into that mid 30s range. Uh as you look beyond this year, I mean I obviously the question is going to be you feel comfortable with Ayton as your center of the future. Maybe Bender is your power forward of the future. You've got a, several options on the wing. You know, maybe it maybe eventually it ends up being Bridges and Jackson at forward with Booker at shooting guard. But the one glaring obvious weak spot is point guard, and hopefully Eliacobo Kobo is impressive enough as a rookie that you start to think that maybe he can be that solution. But realistically, I don't think the Suns can expect that. And you know, free agency it's going to be tough. I think to to add that player there. So I think probably looking much more at next year's draft for the, for that player.
0: So are you against a the, like the Kemba the Lillard thing?
1: I mean, I don't think Lillard's going anywhere personally. You know, as much as everyone talks about, you know, his tweet about, you know, his tweet saying that which wasn't effusive about wanting to stay with the Blazers and uh, his interest possibly in going to the Lakers. Like, look, he's got, I think, three years left on his contract at this point, maybe four. Uh, he doesn't exactly have a lot of leverage to uh, force his way out of Portland at this point.
0: I think the Lillard stuff is more about the fact that they're so capped out and that they can't do any more internal development really because they don't have like super young players.
1: Yeah, I mean I wouldn't say that I'm tremendously bullish on the Blazers future, but I, I think they're gonna exhaust their other options before they look to trade Damian Lillard, given given how how much that front office likes him and, and you know, his, his, uh, his role in the city and everything like that. So, and Kemba, you know, probably a little older, I think, than would be ideal for, you know, a player to add to this Phoenix core, given, you know, that, the point guards, while they develop later, also often tend to, uh, you know, kind of age more quickly than players at other positions. So, you know, I think free, ag- like I said, free agency, it's going to be, it's always going to be tough because of that fact. You know, most of the guys, by the time they're hitting their mark, it, by the time they're hitting the market is unrestricted free agents after their second contract. You know, they're going to be at the end of their prime as point guards.
0: I can see that. Um, one of the things about the general NBA. So with the the West is super packed this year. I mean, the only team worse than the Suns is the is the Kings because the Kings keep doing Kings things. Um, but what do you kind of see? Like, I think everybody, I think everybody on every podcast I've heard has said that there's no way the Lakers don't make the playoffs, or at least there's no way that you're going to pro- project them to miss the playoffs. Um, obviously, Golden State and, uh, Houston are locks pretty much. You think about, uh, OKC and Utah. Um, how do you think it's going to like come out? And what do you think is going to that Lake- Talk about the Lakers for a second, I guess, because that is just, it's too interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that they're locks to make the playoffs. I mean, You know, last year's Cleveland team, if you took their, you know, kind of their their underlying level of performance, uh, again, looking at their point differential, you know, they outscored opponents by 0.9 points per game. That would have ranked 10th in the Western Conference last season. So, I mean, I think this Lakers supporting cast is probably a little bit better than what LeBron James had around him last year in Cleveland, but you look at the the history of his teams kind of struggling in his first year in new situations uh Miami certainly that first year was the weakest of those teams even though they were a little bit unlucky in terms of point differential and then Cleveland the first year was you know kind of a disaster for 2 months until they made the trades at midseason and stabilize things if if the Lakers go through a stretch like that the first 2 months they might find themselves too far out of it to make it. So I, I certainly think it's possible that they could miss the playoffs. And, you know, I think San Antonio is another team that I look at as probably more vulnerable than people expect, uh, given what I said earlier, that I'm not the biggest DeMar DeRozan fan out there and, and the age of that
0: team. Mark Soldridge, too, same, he's the same kind of player almost. Uh, yep. Um, so the question is really, like, but, like, the Grizzlies are going to be much better um than last year just just because of health mostly um like didn't they have like injury provision where they could get sign more players because they had so many injured at the same time
1: i think that probably happened
0: at some point yeah yeah so it's just crazy about that and oh i was i was having a one of my writers write an article at the clippers right now about i mean has this got to be the most balanced um least amount of variation between the best and worst player on the team ever
1: yeah, that's, I mean, they go about to ten deep. I, I, the way I put it is, if we had a tournament of all teams, you know, their their third string lineups, that the Clippers would be heavy favorites for oh that. Oh
0: my goodness, yeah, I mean, they but they have like no stars. But they're not. What is their? Who's their best player? Is it? I'm I'm blanking right now, but is it Williams Gallinari?
1: Yeah, I mean, Blue I guess league? you'd probably say Lou Williams.
0: Yeah, so Lou Williams is what like the 40th best player in the league. Like,
1: Something around there, probably. I don't know. It's
0: just like, it's crazy that, 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 that and that that team could maybe make the playoffs still. It's, it's just incredible. But that's, I mean, they're deep and they are solid players all around the roster. Any other final things about kind of rebuilding or how the Suns are or how the league is going?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. One thing that's, you know, kind of hasn't probably gotten enough discussion is the fact that well, first-round picks are going to remain incredibly valuable. There was a bit of a bubble with them because of you know that period where those contracts were set in stone while the salary cap was rising. And so leading up to the end of the past collective bargaining agreement, their value really skyrocketed, the value of first-round picks. And then you also had the aspect where players coming out of those contracts, their cap holds were relatively low. Uh, compared to their value often. So, you know, that's how the Spurs got Marcus Aldridge is because the fact that Kawhi's cap hold was so low, they were able to defer signing him until after the season rather than extending him, which is a decision that the Suns went the opposite way with Devin Booker. Yeah, they could have created a lot more cap space, but you look at the way the Kawhi Leonard uh, relationship ultimately broke down in San Antonio, maybe it's not worth it to, uh, to worry about that extra cap space. That, that also an important question. Um so that was that kind of bubble. And then you know quietly one of the changes that was phased in with the new CBA starting last year is 15% increases. They actually got a raise in terms of salary right away, but the salary cap hit increased 15%. Uh, every year we're in the second year of that right now they're 30 percent up from the baseline of where they would have been uh, coming out of the old cba and next year will be 45 percent so they are becoming a little bit less valuable in that regard and it'll be interesting to see if teams kind of react with more willingness to trade them after there was a long period of time where you know they were they were basically being hoarded
0: so does that have any bearing on the 2021 uh, 2021- Suns pick that was that, or the Heat pick that went from the Suns to the Sixers, and the Mikhail Bridges trade, and the whole thing about the uh, high school kids being able to come back out of instead of going to college.
1: A little bit, yeah, because it, that, that will get that full extra raise that comes in next year, whereas the Suns are with Bridges taking advantage of that. I mean, I think, you know, the, the issue is more still that I've found that teams tend to, to give up way too much when they trade up. And, you know, I think probably the other thing that teams tend to undervalue is picks that are far out because, you know, eventually those, those picks, those drafts do happen and, and they become valuable. So we saw that. I think we certainly with the, the pick the Suns gave up, it, from the Lakers and the Steve Nash deal that ultimately ironically ended up becoming Mikhail Bridges, uh, where they, they and the bucks probably both didn't value that pick enough where it was kind of the worst case scenario in many ways, because it kept rolling over for the Lakers because they won the lottery. And still it was, you know, the 10th pick in the draft. And you'd much rather have that at this point than, than Brandon Knight or Michael Carter Williams. Um, yeah, you mentioned the, the other thing you mentioned was the double draft and, uh, In a piece that Jonathan Gavoni and I did coming out of Summer League about kind of the buzz among uh, scouts and, and team employees there, the indication was that the league has told teams that well, 2021 is the earliest that that could possibly happen. It probably, at this point, we're looking at 2022 as the timeline for that. So that would be good news, I think, for the Suns in terms of that trade, although there could be some spillover effect where, you know, if you're kind of a marginal, you're a fringe prospect in 2021 it was a sophomore or a junior, you'd rather get into the that, that draft. Then be stuck in 2022 when you could potentially have both the one and done prospects from the previous year and then the high school prospects.
0: Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll definitely change a little bit. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this is great. Why don't you plug what you got going on in your Twitter handle and we'll get out of here.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, keeping content coming occasionally. This is, this is the quiet part of the offseason, but the occasional content coming, including some, at some point here, uh, projections for all teams using ESPN and Minus. Um That'll be on ESPN Insider and obviously on the ESPN NBA homepage. And then I'm at Kay Pilton on Twitter.
0: Definitely follow him. I've been following him for near a decade and it has been great. Um, so thank you so much for that. Uh, my Twitter is at Eric underscore SAR, E-R-I-C underscore S-A-A-R. Check out my website, solarinsights.net. Um, and also this podcast, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, et cetera. And also, check out my other business at leadhoopsdevelopment.com for training if you're in the Phoenix area for basketball player development. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Kevin. Uh, have a great day.
1: You too.